Today's episode is sponsored by By Heart, which is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. In our house, we never skim on family time together on the weekends. Instead of racing around crazy, we prioritize time at home, time to relax, time to do fun, crazy things that we wouldn't have ordinarily. And you know who else doesn't skim? By heart. By heart is the only American-made infant formula with globally sourced ingredients to use organic, grass-fed whole milk without a drop of skim. Whole milk is full of healthy fats like naturally occurring MFGM, which play an important role in baby's brain development and growth. Are you curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with codename Zibby20 for a limited time. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Com and definitely check out those shows as well. Peng Shepard is the author of The Cartographers, a novel. Peng is the nationally best-selling author of The Cartographers, The Book of M, and The Future Library. Her second novel, The Cartographers, was a USA Today bestseller, a national indie bookstore's bestseller, and was named a pick of the month by Good Morning America, that was probably me, Real Simple, Bustle, The Millions, and Goodreads, a best book of the month by Amazon, Apple, and BuzzFeed. Her first novel, The Book of M, won the 2019 Newcomb Institute for Literary Arts Award for debut speculative fiction and was chosen as a best book of the year by Amazon, L, Refinery29, and The Verge, a best book of the summer by The Today Show and NPR On Point, and as an option for television. A graduate of the NYU MFA program, she is the recipient of the 2020 Fellowship from the National Endowment for the Arts. Pang was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, where she rode horses and trained in classical ballet. She has lived in Beijing, Kuala Lumpur, London, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., New York, and Mexico City. When not writing, she can be found planning her next trip or hunting local bookstores. Welcome, Pung. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss The Cartographers. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm like obsessed with your cover. I actually, we were just talking about the sign <laughs> behind me, but I would like a sign of this, you know, you, or you could almost even like write your own maps to wherever you're going. Or I just love it. Oh, okay. that'd be fun cover full of books in blue, my favorite color, libraries, my favorite thing. It's just pretty <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. So can you please tell listeners what The Cartographers is about and what inspired you to write it? Yeah. So I like to think of it as kind of a mystery novel with a touch of magic. And it is, it's about map making family secrets. And it follows a young scholar named Nell whose career was destroyed by none other than her own father after 
a fight they have over a strange map that he claimed was worthless. But then he, when he dies and Nell discovers that very same map hidden in his things, she realizes that it contains like a, a deadly mystery that involves their family. And so she sets out to uncover what both her mother and this map have been hiding from her for decades. Wow. And where did you come up with this idea? Where did this come from? Well, it, I mean, maps are one of those things that I think we all are a little bit, we're somewhere on the spectrum from curious to sort of obsessed with. And I definitely fall more on the obsession side. And so I had been wanting to write something about, you know, maps and libraries and archives and, you know, dark academia kind of all rolled into one. And it wasn't until I had been thinking about this for, oh, I don't know, like maybe seven years or something, but I couldn't find a way into the story until this one day I was having a conversation with a friend of mine and they were talking about this phenomenon in dictionaries where dictionary makers sometimes will insert a false word into the dictionary to basically protect against copyright theft. Because if, you know, another dictionary comes out and it has your fake word in it, the only way that that could have been possible is if they had copied your dictionary because it's a made up (laughs) word. Yeah. And I was like, that's so cool. Like how you know, fascinating that there's a, there's a word in every dictionary that isn't real. And, you know, if you're lucky enough to come across it, you know, you might not have any idea or you might go down a rabbit hole research. And then somebody else in the conversation said, yeah, that's really cool. Do you know that they also do that with maps? And from there, you know, my imagination just went. (laughs) Wow. I wonder who the person is going to be to go through the dictionaries now after listening to this to try to figure out which word in their dictionary is not the right word. I know, right? <laughs> I, so apparently there there are some hints. They say that they tend to be hidden in the X's and Y's and Z's because those words are less commonly looked for. You know, people people don't look up X, Y's and Z's as much. So you should check those three letters first. I feel like those are the most thumb through for all Scrabble references, though. Well, that's true, right? I mean, <laughs> that's like a lot of that's a lot of points. <laughs> yeah. These days, I don't play as much Scrabble or even use paper dictionaries, but I feel like for many, many years, our dictionary was very worn just for that reason. <laughs> for, <Yeah. laughs> anyway, I don't even know. My kids probably don't even know what Scrabble is. It's so sad. Well, on to, on to the next. <laughs> so part of this novel involves the New York Public Library, which is one of my favorite places. So talk about the inclusion of that, how the setting took place and, and, and your feelings about libraries. Oh, well, I mean, I, you know, of course, I just love them. I feel like I grew up in them, you know, and I was one of those kids who we we had to get all of my siblings library cards too, so that they could check out, you know, double or triple the books that I wanted. So we would all and they'd be like, okay, which ones, you know, do you want us to get for you and pretend they're for us? And so I would get to go home with you know, just an armful of books every, every week. And it was just one of my favorite things. And so, and then when I was older, I was living in New York and would go into that, the main branch of the New York Public Library just all the time. And it just feels like, have you, I'm sure you've been in there a couple of times. It's, yes, it's just, yes. you know, like all white, kind of white or cream marble and there's gold fixtures and everything is kind of glittering and the the shelves are these this old rich wood and they have all these cool lamps and reading tables and it just feels like exactly where you would set uh, like a dark academia mystery story you know and so as I was building the plot for this book and a lot of it takes place in New York City anyway I just thought well all it's got to happen in the New York Public Library then you know it's just such a magical place. 
I actually, I never talk about this, but my first wedding was actually at, the party was at the library. <gasps> That's yeah. so neat. I bet it that was, was beautiful. It was really pretty, I have to say. Yeah. Maybe I can send you some private pictures. I would, love to, I would love to see it. Yeah, please. It was, that sounds uh, beautiful. Yeah, it was lovely. But that was many, many moons ago. Okay, so when you <laughs> sat down to tackle the story and make it a mystery, I am always curious if when you do that, you know how everything is unfolding when you start out to do it, or do you have to go in and like go back and plot, put little clues in afterwards that, you, how did you, how did you structure it when you were writing the story? Oh my gosh. It was pure chaos the whole <laughs> way through uh, because I, yeah, I mean, just, it turns out it's really hard to write a mystery if you don't know what the mystery is because I am a, I, so I'm not a plotter or an outliner or a planner or anything like that. I just fly by the seat of my pants and I am, I am discovering the story as I write it. And so most of the time, my first drafts are in a shape that nobody can see it. I can barely even see it. You know, it's so messy. And that kind of works when you're writing some other kind of books, but when you're writing a mystery, it makes it I mean, you just have so many rewrites because it's like every draft, you figure only one thing out and then you got to go back and change everything else. And you figure one more thing out and then you got to go back and change everything else. So it was, it was a lot of extra pages. I, my editor and I joke, but it's not really a joke that the book, I think the book is like 500 pages and we have 500 more pages of stuff that I was trying that didn't work out. So I basically wrote the book at least twice to get, you know, everything working and locked into place by order. Yeah. <laughs> My gosh. So part of the story sets off with the pet, the death of Nell's father. Mm. What is your relationship like with your father? Is he alive? And what is that like? And I feel like if I were to have written a novel and the mother had passed away, my mother would be very upset about that. <laughs> oh yes. Yes. So, and uh, there's kind of a funny story. I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's some drama in it, but it's kind of funny too. But so my, my father is alive. We have a great relationship. It's nothing like Nell and her father, Dr. Young's relationship in the book there. They've been estranged for seven years by the time the story starts. And then he passes away before she can even, you know, say anything to him, let alone reconcile. And so they're, they have had a super strained relationship, but my relationship with my dad is great. Everything's fine. But at the time that I, in the very, very first draft, I had named Dr. Young, David Young, and my father's name is David. And I didn't quite make the connection <laughs> at the time. And, and also in the beginning, I thought that David Young and Nell Young were going to be friends and teammates and they were going to oh. discover their mystery together. I didn't realize until you know, many, many drafts later that actually it was their fight and their estrangement that causes a lot of the mystery. And so in the beginning, everything was great. David and Nell were friends. David was a great guy in the book. And then as the drafts kept going, he became more and more of a, like a difficult, I don't want to call him the villain at all, but he becomes kind of an antagonist in a way because there's this secret and he's hiding it out of love, but there's a big secret that he's keeping from Nell and it's the source of a lot of their problems. And then I ended up, he dies of a heart attack in the book. And then my own father had a heart attack. No. And yeah, he's he's fine. He he made it through. Everything is great. He's healthy now. But I just that's when I realized I gotta change the guy's name because it was too many things. And there was no way that I was ever gonna be able to say to dad, like, it's just a name. It has nothing to do with you. So so David Young's name is now Daniel Young. <laughs> and my father will hopefully be none the wiser because it, David Daniel Young is not based on him. <laughs> well. That sounds like the idea for the next 
novel where everything the writer writes ends up happening in real life. And what does she do about that? Yeah. I know. Sort of like that movie. Uh, was it called Stranger Than Fiction? It's a great movie. It's about a guy <laughs> who starts to think that, that everything in his life is like being kind of narrated to him or or it's happening to him outside of his control. And at the same time, a best-selling author is writing a book about a man with the same name and the same things are happening to him in the book. Oh my and gosh. so he becomes convinced that he is like in her book. It's so, it's such a great movie. Oh my gosh. I'm going to watch this weekend. Uh, and there's this other, he goes to a literature professor. I'm writing it down. You've got it. Yeah. He goes to this literature professor for help and he's like, I know this is going to sound nuts, but I think I'm in a novel. And so the first thing the literature professor <laughs> does is start asking him about like what genre he thinks he's in because they're going to solve it in a different way depending on if he's in a murder mystery or a fantasy or it's really cute it's very cute oh my gosh I love that okay great thank you <laughs> excellent tip yeah <laughs> so how did you get your start where like where was this library you went to growing up where did you grow up and how many siblings did you have and then how did you end up writing and how did you get here yeah so uh so I grew up in Phoenix Arizona so this was oh, one I knew of the that. branches of the, yes. the Phoenix Public Library yeah and we at the time uh, I have three siblings now but when I was uh two of them are 16 years younger than me so at the time I had only the one brother and so we got him a library card and we got my mom a library card and my dad also had a library card and that you know that was our weekend plan but I I was one of those kids who I, I think I learned to read a little bit earlier than average and I just read, you know, everything. And there comes a moment where you realize that somebody is writing the books that you're reading. Cause at first it's just, they're the, they're just books, you know, they're just stories. And then, and I had this, you know, wait a minute, somebody is making these, which means I could make these. And so that, I don't know, it's, it's just, I told my mom that it was what I wanted to do when I grew up and it always remained that way, even when, you know, we all have detours. I, I got a university degree and then a grad degree in something that was not creative writing because at a certain point you panic and you think, I don't know how I'm going to afford groceries. And so I have to have a quote unquote real job, even though writer is a real job, but it's such a difficult thing to get started. And there's not really a path for it the way that there's a path to being like a lawyer or a doctor or a, an accountant, you know? And so I spent you know, high school, university, grad school, studying other things. And then I started working in the corporate world. And at some point in my, it was like my mid to late 20s, I realized that I was at the point in my corporate career where if I stayed on longer, I would get promoted to a certain point and the money would be good enough that I would just be, I would be too afraid to ever leave and to risk it. And so I I hit that moment of like, I've, I've got to try now because if I don't try now, I'll I'll never try. And so I ended up quitting my job because I don't know how to do anything halfway. I couldn't just take <laughs> night classes like a smart person. I had to just quit my job. So I quit my job and I applied to and got into NYU's MFA in creative writing program. So I moved to New York. I attended that program and it was a big gamble, but it was really, I mean, it made all the difference to me because it was the first time in my life that writing was the priority. And I felt like I had been given quote unquote permission, you know, to make it that priority because there were professors and other students in my workshop waiting for my draft, you know, that I had to turn in for, for a grade and to keep my student funding and all of that. So it felt, it, I think it taught me how to be a professional about writing instead of a hobbyist. And it, and it also taught me how to finish things, which was really important. That is important. <laughs> I feel yeah. like it's very easy to start things. <laughs> yeah. I feel like also, you know, once you finish the novel, then at least, you know, you can write a novel, but that doesn't mean that that novel is actually 
a good novel, right? <laughs> like first you just have to learn how to do it or most exactly. Or maybe I'm just excusing myself. Yeah. No, no, I think you're exactly right. And I remember on the first day of our first workshop, my professor of that workshop, his name's Darren Strauss. He told the class that you think it's going to be the book that you're writing right now that is going to be the one that's published, but I'm here to tell you it's not. You'll finish this book and that'll teach you how to finish something. And it'll be the book you start right after you graduate that is maybe the one that that gets published. And we all were like, no, that's not true. We're going to, you know, this, this is the one we're going to get it published. And then one by one, it turned out to be absolutely true. We all managed to finish and then discard the thing that we were writing in the grad program. And then there are at least, I think, four or five of us now who it's the thing that we started right after we graduated, just like Darren said, that became the thing that got published. So he was, oh he was right. Darren Strauss and I worked together on something for the Jewish Book Council. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> we had like all these regular meetings and anyway. Yeah. He's lovely. He's, he's just the greatest. Okay. We can't bubble wrap our kids to keep them safe, but we can give ourselves some peace of mind now with the Life 360 app, which I am obsessed with. I first heard about this from a girlfriend at a party who told me that this was the app to use. So I got it. And now I am obsessed. It's a family connection and safety app that lets you track the people and things that are most important to you. And it's much more than sharing location. It is about safety. It keeps families connected and protected throughout the day. Plus, it helps you find your things. So I have tiles, one of which I put on my phone, which I lose a hundred times a day, and I can find it through the app whenever I lose it. Also, it lets me put in locations of interest. So I get alerts when my kids reach school after taking the bus or when my husband gets to LA or whoever you want to track. You can do it with Life360 and feel very protected and safe and it makes life better. It makes peace of mind better. Life 360 has my family's back when they're on the road, and I can track their stuff too if I need to. Plus, of course, it's a lifeline during emergencies because you can have crash detection to know if one of the kids is in an accident and with two almost driver's license kids, that is super important to me too. So put away the bubble wrap and protect your loved ones with Life 360. Visit life360.com or download the app today and use code BOOKS, B-O-O-K-S, all caps, to get one month of the gold package for free, plus 15% off all tiles. That's life360.com, code BOOKS. Wait, who were the other people who wrote books? Are they good? Did anything? Like, were they? Yeah. So we had, let's see, we had Linnea Hartsiker who wrote a uh, kind of like a historical fiction, the touch of fantasy. It's a Viking saga. It's called The Half-Drowned King. We had Yaroslav Kalfar, whose first book was called Spaceman of Bohemia. I think his next one's coming out soon. We had Rebecca Dienerstein who wrote The Sunlit Night. And then her second book, Hex, came out last year or something like that. I, inter so I interviewed her. I think oh, I did you? I, I think I interviewed her during the pandemic times, right? Didn't it come out mm. during the... I feel like I did it maybe it did. through this Instagram live show I used to do first year of the pandemic or whatever. But anyway, mm -hmm. yes, I interviewed her. Yeah. Awesome. Wow. That's really neat. And so great to like have that whole crew to talk to. Like, do you all keep in touch? I feel like that would be such a huge value of the program in general. Oh, it really is. Yeah, we do all keep in touch. And it was a it was a really special time for the debuts because we're all, I think most of us are on our second or third, you know, book now. And so when we it was all of our first books that were coming out, it was just 
you know, we were all still reading each other's drafts at that point, even though we had agents than we had. And so it just felt really, really, it's like, you know, a tiny little family that came out of that MFA program. And uh, we all still talk to this day and, you know, sometimes even pass drafts back and forth. So it's really nice. Oh, that's awesome. Wait, so tell me about your first book, The Book of M. Yes. Yeah. That was the one that I started writing right after I graduated, (laughs) just like Darren said. (laughs) And it was a really wonderful and super different process from this book, The Cartographers, because with The Book of M, it was really, really fast. It came out very fast and very little changed from the first draft to the final. I mean, there's a lot of rewriting and cleaning it up, but very little about the story changed. And because you have to finish your first book completely before you can sell it, which is different than subsequent books where you're just kind of selling like an idea or a pitch. At the time that we sold the book of M, I was you know, really sure what the story was about. And it was very close to being, you know, finished and polished. And so, yeah, it was just a, it felt very fast, which is, I mean, I guess I just, I just feel very lucky about that, that it, that it went pretty smoothly and pretty quick. And then, you know, I, I got to see the other side with the second book. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. What did you do differently? Is there anything you did in terms of marketing or publicity or any decisions you made the second time where you're like, oh yeah, well, if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have known X, Y, Z. Like things you said, oh, I should do more of this or less of this or... Yeah. So I... Well, on the writing side, it was very different because we ended up... My agent and I ended up selling the cartographers to my editor on... It was... I mean, it's pretty much just like a one-page proposal. And it it barely even had a premise. It was just sort of like, maps are neat, right? It's like, <laughs> you need a book about maps. <laughs> and I, I had like no characters. I had no story. I had no... I just kind of had this premise about a map that had a secret on it. And I didn't even know what the secret was at that. I mean, it was so bare bones. And so if there's something I learned between the two of them, it's that there's a difference between a story and a premise. And you can make a story out of a premise. And and I did do that with the cartographers, but it takes so much longer. And it's especially stressful when you're writing it on contract, you know, because with the book of M, I just wrote it until it was ready. Then we sold it and it, and it was ready. But with the cartographers, we sold a premise and not a story. And then I had to build the whole thing while on deadline and, and make it a mystery on top of that. So it was, it was a very different process. And I think I have learned my lesson because we've recently sold my third book to my editor, but I was halfway through the first draft before we sold it to her. So when she said, okay, what is this one about? I could actually say something about a story rather than just like maps are cool, right? <laughs> <laughs> so so what's, the th- what's the third one about? The third one, it's about, it's set kind of in the near future. It's a little bit of a kind of got sci-fi thriller vibes. And it is about a future reality TV show that helps you make your, it helps you improve your life by sort of altering the fabric of reality to make whatever you're choosing real, like actually Mm -hmm. real. So if you imagined that you'd had a different job, you suddenly will really have that different job. And the story follows a woman who's chosen to be the season three contestant and she's, you know, over the moon, her life is going to change. She can't wait. But once the filming starts, things kind of take a dark turn because she realizes that she may not be as in control of the choices as she thought she was going to be. Interesting. All right. Excellent. <laughs> so that's weird. Well, hopefully it's, yeah, it's still early days. I'm all, I'm not quite even done with the first draft yet. I'm approaching the end. We'll see if that premise kind of holds, but it's, yeah, it has been, it's been more like the first book than the second book, because I, I think I just had a better idea about it when I, when I started it versus the second book. 
So what is your life like aside from writing? Like once you put down the microphone today, like where, what are you doing next? Like what, what's your, what do you do for fun? Like what's your, what's your other stuff in life? Where do you like, I don't know. I don't have a sense of like, <laughs> what, what happens else. Yeah. No, I'm, well, I'm laughing because when I put down this microphone, I'm actually going to go write more of the book because the first draft, <laughs> I have to finish the first draft by August 31st. So, wow. so I will, I will be right. Um, I think because my writing style is so chaotic because I don't plan anything and I don't outline, I found that the more that my routine is, is more of a routine, I, I think it helps me. And so I really do sort of treat it almost like an office job. So I will be, you know, at 9am, I'm in front of my computer and I write or work on, you know, revision or whatever on the book until like, probably like 2pm, sometimes 3pm. And then after that, that's when things get a lot more, you know, flexible, like either I'm reading a book I like, or I go out into, so I recently moved to Mexico city. I'm, we're having the zoom from Mexico city. And so I'll, you know, go, go out and explore the city, get some good food and. I mean, that's, that's, so that's really what I'm doing now is just, I I write in the morning and then I try to take care of, you know, whatever other admin and, and then in the afternoons and evenings I go out and I just walk the streets and try, try a new coffee shop or like learn, you know, try to learn something about the city. So that's, it's been a lot of fun. Wow. Who knew? See, I would never have known. It's just a blank wall. So you could have been anywhere. Excellent. I know. That's because the rest of this room isn't unpacked yet. That's why, we're <laughs> why, why yeah. did you move to Mexico City? Because, well, a couple, I mean, first of all, the city's just wonderful. It's so wonderful. You know, it reminds me in a lot of ways of Mexico City. I mean, it's got a so vibe, but it's that same. It's It's just huge. It's got millions and millions and millions of people. And every neighborhood feels very different. The way that every neighborhood in New York City feels very different, has a different vibe. But on top of that, it is so much cheaper than New York City, which is really good for a writer. And so, yeah, so I've just been really, really enjoying it. Good for you. Just like go off and trying something yeah. new. I love that. So it, can be, it took me like 40 years to even like change my neighborhood and I basically still haven't. So anyway, I, <laughs> I take inspiration from people more adventurous than me. Okay. Last question. What advice do you have for aspiring authors? Ooh, that's a good question. I would say to get to the end of your first draft as quickly as you can, even if it's, messy, or even if you know that it's not right, the direction you're going, because there's something really important that happens when you finally have the whole thing. It's like, even if you have like 80% of your draft and you're trying to fix it, somehow you just have less of a view of the whole thing than if you get all the way to the end and you write the ending, even if it's a bad ending and change. There's just something that happens about having that whole draft that makes it a lot easier to work with, I think. So... So if you can make it there, make it there as quick as you can. Yeah. (laughs) So then you can go back and write another 500 pages. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for coming on Mom's Center of Time to Read Books. I really appreciate all your time. Thank you so much. a good time. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 